Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life, encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends offering perspectives of hope through Jesus Christ. How does God use a man baptized as a Scandinavian Lutheran who joined a charismatic mission agency before marrying a Presbyterian in a congregational church? In what ways did his background, which includes baptizing his daughter in an Anglican church, while working for a Baptist mission and joining the faculty of an evangelical seminary, prepare him for research in global Christianity? This is the story of Dr. Todd Johnson, who in the spirit of John 3.16, learned about Jesus as a global savior in Cambodia. We pause here at the beginning of our show To remind you the reason we have the Good Life program, well, dear friend, it's to share the love of Jesus Christ, that the love of Christ makes a difference in the lives of people. I'm talking about the love of Jesus so strong that he died on the cross for your sins. He shed his precious blood on that cross to wash your sins away. He was buried, yes, but three days later, he rose again from the grave. And today, the living Christ who has touched the heart and life of Todd Johnson reaches out to you. My friend, if you have never opened your heart to Christ, it's our prayer that you would indeed do that. Open your heart to Jesus. Turn from your way to God's way. That's called repentance. And my friend, if you already know the Lord, well, I believe our time with Dr. Johnson will encourage you, build you up. Dr. Todd M. Johnson is the Eva B. and Paul E. Toms Distinguished Professor of Mission and Global Christianity and Co-Director of the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He is also a visiting research fellow at Boston University's Institute for Culture, Religion, and World Affairs. Todd earned his Ph.D. at William Carey International University. Dr. Johnson, welcome to our show. Wonderful to be with you. Tell us, where did you grow up? Well, I'm a Scandinavian, as you said, uh, which puts me squarely in Minnesota, where um, I grew up uh, on uh, the, my, with my parents, I should say, who were both uh, farmers, although I was not a farmer. So my parents um, moved from uh, farmland down into the Minneapolis area, and my dad worked for Ford Motor Company as a uh, engineer for uh, something like uh, 40 years. And my mom was a cook in the high school. So they sort of carved out a new suburban life um, and then uh, had uh, me and my sister. And I grew up in, in that context of, of the suburbs. Who would you say, as you think about your dad and mom, your family, who would you say influenced you most in your growing up years? 
Yeah, I mean, I had, I did have a great uh, uh, family, parents, uh, extended family uh, back at the farm. Everybody hardworking. Many of them uh, followers of Jesus, and um, so I credit my family a, a, a lot. Both my m- mother and my father uh, really, really helped me and led me. I actually had two uh, aunts, my father's two older sisters, who. I found out later, as I became a teenager and and got ready for college, that they had been praying for me to be in full-time Christian ministry for many, many, many years. And then they both ended up supporting me as a a missionary once I uh, joined uh, Youth with a Mission and and moved away from Minnesota. So uh, they were pretty special to me. Um, Both have passed on now, but... um, in my family, that, that's who I, I, I uh, think of when I think of those that really made a difference for me. Are your parents still alive? Uh, my mother is. My father passed away about 10 years ago. Your father's name? Byron. Byron. And your mom? Mary Lou. Mary Lou. Yeah, and they actually, you know, my last name's Johnson. Okay, so I'm from Minnesota. And uh, as it turned out, my mother's maiden name was Johnson. So I and, and my mother had no middle name, so because of Mary Lou. So growing up in elementary school, they would always ask me, "What's your mother's maiden name?" I say Johnson, and they say, "No, no, no." Before she was married, and then they couldn't get me to answer correctly, and then they'd say, "Well, what's her middle name?" And I'd say, "She has no middle name." So I was kind of hopeless uh, growing up. Uh, your two, uh, your two aunts who prayed for you. What were their names? Esther, which is nice, and Lois. When you think about Aunt Esther and Aunt Lois, what stirs in your heart? Yeah, well, I was fortunate they lived in St. Paul, where where I was born. Um, So what I treasure is the frequent visits. You know, I mean, we we would uh, they would come up to us. We were in the northeast suburbs and we would go down to their separate apartments for dinner frequently. Um, We actually had a tradition of going to uh, Como Park, which was actually a zoo. If you've been to Minnesota, you know it. And um, so we had all these special times together. And and my aunts were always asking how I was doing. And, you know, just just uh, it it was really special. Um, You know, I I don't know. Maybe a lot of younger kids wouldn't look forward to seeing their, you know, elderly aunts as, of course, as they got older. But for me, it was always uh, an encouragement to see them. Speaking of encouragement, a word of encouragement to someone today, a, a, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, a parent, who, who has experienced a calling from God to pray for a nephew, a niece, a grandchild. A word to that dear one listening now. Yeah, it's just, it's so important. Um, and it's interesting because it's important when, when that niece or nephew is not aware of it because prayer has this uh, amazing power in people's lives. And then to, to find out about it and then to be supported by it once you, you know uh, that it's there, it, it's really, it's really uh, life-giving. And, um, and you'd bring that, you know, the, the younger person, the nephew or the niece, brings that with them really the rest of their lives. You know, I mean, both of the, these aunts have been gone for 20 years or more. 
Um, but I, I, it's with me. It's going to stay with me. So, um, yeah, it's it's just something to treasure. And it, and if you're if you're not doing it and you're thinking of somebody, now's the time to start because it it will make a difference in 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 those lives. And I'm doing that now, as a, as a, you know, at this stage of my life, I'm praying and and trying to to uh, help out some of the younger. Excuse me, nephews and nieces in my life. You speak with a texture, a texture with layered grace in the way that you grew up, in your spiritual formation. Say a little bit more on your spiritual journey. How did God lead you? to a place where you surrendered your heart to Christ. Right. So that that's really the other half of my growing up story is the wonderful church that I belonged to, which my parents chose moving in away from where they had grown up into the city. They found a, a, a Lutheran church that uh, had just wonderful uh, pastors and um, Sunday school teachers and people active in mission and doing all sorts of things. And that's what I grew up in. And um, and I credit a, a lot for, with that because I feel like um, even as a teenager, I'd read the Bible through several times. I, had, I was familiar with all these stories uh, from the Bible. I believed them. I so, so the, the interesting thing is I, I did grow up in, in the time of the Jesus movement, okay? So a lot of stuff was happening in Southern California. But we had, uh, uh, you know, terrific meetings, revival meetings, and all kinds of stuff going on in Minnesota as well. And uh, one of the things that back then was that you wanted to have this sort of special time that you could point back to when you met Christ as your Savior, and uh, and that was kind of interesting for me because when I when I was honest with myself, it really went way back to four or five years old. Uh, but when I was twelve or thirteen, I had you know up at a Bible camp, I had kind of a mountaintop experience because uh, I wanted to be with everybody else, you know, and uh, and it was a real experience. But honestly, you know, it was all that was built in me as a, even a young child. That was the foundation of my relationship with Jesus, even though I can talk about Inspiration Peak, which is a funny name for the place. But that's where that's where I uh, gave my life, uh, you know, as a young uh, teenager. Inspiration Peak, uh, a place that Todd Johnson will never forget. It has marked him and God used that as a as a moment of of connection. A point where it uh, stamped a moment and perhaps you've had that moment maybe you haven't maybe you know the Lord maybe you don't but today dear friend I believe this is a time for you to draw near to God and God sends Dr. Todd Johnson to speak heart to heart with us with you when we come back from our break Thailand and uh, reframing of perceptions in a young life. You say, who's who's young life, Danny? Well, of course, the young life of Dr. Todd Johnson. Your life, 
dear one. The Lord speaking, the Lord encouraging, are you responding? Stay with us. GordonConwell.edu. Find out more about him. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren sky Leave it to me Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a program that was born out of prayer. The Spirit of Christ guides us through prayer, empowers us through prayer, and provides for us through prayer. There are mighty things that the Lord is doing in the Northeast, across the United States, and around the world. Would you like to be a part of God's work through The Good Life with Dr. Danny? Visit drdanny.live. Dr. Danny invites you to join his prayer team. Each month, you will receive a letter updating you on some of the behind-the-scenes developments, prayer requests, along with a devotional that Dr. Danny writes to encourage you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Join the prayer team today and make an eternal difference in people's lives. Visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Dr. Todd M. Johnson has published encyclopedias, atlases, databases, monographs, and scholarly articles on counting religionists around the world he has made detailed country-by-country country estimates of ethno-linguistic peoples and other traditions within the world's major religions. In 2015, he wrote a book with Cindy Wu, Our Global Families, Christians Embracing Common Identity in a Changing World. You can find out more about him at gordonconwell.edu. Again, that's gordonconwell.edu. Todd, April 1980, Thailand. How did God reframe your perceptions of Christianity and the world? Yes, yeah, so I was um, on an outreach from a school of evangelism in uh, Southern California. And uh, my mentor there, uh, John Dawson, he had, had uh, seen an article in late uh, 1979 about the Cambodian refugee crisis, and he felt like a group of us um, should go and join another Youth with a Mission team from Hawaii and together kind of form a, a new team to help out in any way that we could. So um, I was excited about it and saw the Lord provide the finances that I needed to go to Thailand, and I ended up on the border of Thailand and Cambodia at Kawi Dung, uh, refugee camp. I, mean, I think it means Black Mountain, but it was just a kind of a desolate area where there was some room to build this camp. And when I arrived at Chris in Christmas of 1979, there were about 30, 35,000 refugees, Cambodian refugees in the camp. Uh, when I left in 1980, many months later, there was 135,000. So it was growing the in entire time. 
Um, now, I had, I had never met um, a Cambodian or a Thai person or a Buddhist person uh, in Minneapolis. And so this was brand new for me to be in, you know, sort of close proximity and friendship with people in other religions. I'd also never had the chance to really uh, share the good news with people who had never heard it before in their lives. Um, now, I was, uh, I was only 21 years old. I was working with an architect from Hawaii uh, who was designing the hospitals in, in uh, Kawidang, and uh, he had to leave suddenly, and I was the only person there. So overnight in April, I was in charge of 300 workers. I was building hospitals out of bamboo, wire, and thatch. Um, for the uh, International Red Cross, the United Nations, World Vision, many other people were there. Fortunately, I've been trained really well by this architect, um, but, uh, but the life-changing side of it came to me because of the English class that I inherited. Um, uh, I had no, knew nothing about teaching English, but I could speak it, and I had some good uh, resources with me there. And I had 60 students, 30 on Tuesdays and 30 on Wednesdays, I think it was. And uh, one day I decided this would be just a great time to share a little bit about my own background, my faith. And um, so I did. I told the story of uh, from Genesis to my life, you know, sort of in 45 minutes. Uh, uh, you should really try it sometime because I'd never done it before. Now, I'd been trained as an evangelist with Youth of the Mission. But the thing that struck me when I was giving this talk is how much of it came from the year, years four years old to 15 years old, that I'd been paying attention in Sunday school. And that's where the foundations of what I said were from. And when I was done, this is my Tuesday class, when I was done, um, uh, they, they were just sort of sitting there dumbfounded, and I thought, you know, did they, did, did they understand it? And one of the students who could speak a little bit of English raised his hand, and he said, we understand perfectly everything that you've told us. So I thought, well, you know, we might as well take this, you know, to the next stage, and we talked about what this might mean to follow Christ, and in that, I had 30 new Christians in that room. Many of them had lost, you know, m many of their family members in the genocide. It was really a difficult, difficult time. What, what was, did they ask something about who is the one who calms the, the waves? Yes, yeah. So, so one of my favorite parts of it was I, and again, I believe the, you know, the Holy Spirit brought this to me to tell the story of Jesus, um, uh, calming the seas, you know, when the disciple, when he was asleep on the boat. And um, in fact, one of my students, after I told this story, he actually stood up and said, who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? Which was exactly what, you know, what the, what was said at the time. So, so I think they really understood that this was, this was special. It was for them. And it, it only took 24 hours. By the time my other class, the, the, the next class of about 30 people came, they had all wanted to hear this story that was told the day before. So I told it again, and I had, uh, at the end of the week, I had 56 new Christians. 
Yeah. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't some great evangelist, you see. The Lord was working in that camp, and many people became Christians during that time at that camp. And, and you could find them all over the world um, today from, from that period. Uh, but it was really special to me because as much as I believed in the gospel, I had no idea that it had this kind of transforming power. People have never heard it. They're from a completely different background. And I think I, I, my whole life turned in a new direction uh, at that moment. Uh, and, and I've never, never turned back from that, seeing the global significance of Christianity. That, that for me, face to face with it. Um, and I've kept in touch with, with uh, many of the people for several years and, and followed their discipleship, you know, and some of them even became pastors um, in, and so on. So it was, it was really, really special for me. In, in view of this life-changing experience, experience, what did you realize about Jesus and the Cambodians? Yeah, I realized that, well, first of all, that the gospel was for all the peoples of the world, which is something I heard a lot growing up. You know, I mean, it's th all throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. So, so to me, it was, it was saying this is, you know, this is true. It's a truth that is for the whole world. But it also opened up to me um, <laughs> the idea that when other peoples encounter Christ, they have gifts to bring back to, to, uh, to the rest of us. And as, as much as, you know, I had given away all that I owned as a, as a young person, you know, having uh, read about St. Francis of Assisi, and that's sort of what led me out of Minnesota to, um, to Southern California. So I thought of myself as, you know, kind of, uh, you know, one of these uh, radical people who, who was living on very little, um, but I was still, I, I still had the mindset, I think, of, you know, that things were important and that sort of thing. And it was a Cambodian Christian who opened my eyes to this. And he, he'd actually moved to Honolulu uh, with his wife, who was my secretary when, when I was doing all that construction. Uh, they got married. She followed, she became a Christian that day. He was the only Christian. He was my interpreter and he had become a Christian in Cambodia. So that was also part of my story. They got married, they moved to Honolulu, and they'd always have me stay with them when I'd come to visit and teach in Hawaii. And um, one time I, I came to, to, to stay with them, and, and he had, they had two small rooms and kind of a hallway. And in the other room was his sister and her husband and their young child. But they gave me their bedroom, and they slept in the hallway, right? So I experienced this hospitality. But what happened is I came back six months later, and the, the, uh, his sister had moved out. Or they got in their own place. And, uh, and I said to my friend, I said, doesn't it feel good to have this extra space? And he said, yes, but it's lonely. And I thought, Leave it up to me to think the space was important when there's people involved, you know. That, that's the kind of, I, I feel like that's part of what's happening as Christianity spreads around the world is that, the, you know, the rest of us that are, have been Christians for a while need to hear from people who are, who are encountering Christ for the first time. And I have learned so much, you know, over these years from Cambodian Christian friends and from Christian, uh, Christians from many other um, languages and peoples. 
that uh, that have uh, you know really helped bring corrections and and life to me in areas that I need that are blind spots maybe so yeah where are, where are some of these other students from that original 60 can you trace some of them in other parts of the world? Yes. Um, well, you know, they, they, they went to France. They went to Australia. There's quite a few in Australia. But there's, there's also a lot, and, and other places in Europe, um, but there's also a lot in the United States. And uh, one, of, one of my students, um, he was 15 years old, and he was the only surviving member of his family. He had, he had, up, I think up to 10 siblings and a mother and father, all of whom were killed in the genocide. And he witnessed their, their deaths. And he had very, very little emotion when I first encountered him. But he was transformed on that day. And one of my favorite memories from this, from a few years later, is he moved to Portland, Oregon. And he wrote me a letter, 18 years old, said, I'm pastoring two churches, Cambodian churches. In, in Portland, and I thought, again, this is just such a powerful, you know, uh, gospel that is transforming lives like this, and, and uh, so, so they're, they're in different places. My friend in, um, that I mentioned earlier, he's still in Honolulu, has, has a family, uh, and has been very active in, in, in uh, gospel witness and all of that. It's just really encouraging. You're listening to Dr. Todd Johnson. Dr. Johnson is the Eva B. and Paul E. Toms Distinguished Professor of Mission and Global Christianity and co-director of the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. You can find out more about him, his, his books, his articles, his works at gordonconwell.com. Edu. In 2015, he wrote a book along with Cindy Wu. The book is titled Our Global Families, Christians Embracing Common Identity in a Changing World. When we come back, we're, we're going to delve in and talk about why write a book about our global families. What are the two global families that they're writing about? Why is that important to have a broader sense in Christian identity? Why, do you, why does he believe we need to be better informed about other religions? That and more from Dr. Todd Johnson. Stay with us. says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.com. 
drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Dr. Todd Johnson was born in St. Paul, Minnesota, but spent several years in Singapore and Thailand. He is married to Tricia. They have three daughters, Laura, Laura, Claire, and Valerie. And for the past 30 years, He's been mining daily Christian history and global Christianity for insights into his own faith journey. Find out more about him at gordonconwell.edu. If you're tuning in right now, maybe caught the tail end of that last segment. Hey, you can get this program in its entirety as a podcast. Just go to drdanny.live. It's available on major podcast platforms. Todd, you and Cindy Wu, you wrote our global Christianity. Why? Why did you write that book? Right. Well, you know, I've I've produced all of these reference books, you know, most of my life, and and uh, in fact, I'd never heard anybody say the simple phrase, "I'd read your book," even though I'd written like fourteen or fifteen. And uh, so some some of my friends encouraged me. They said, "You know, you really you really ought to write about what does it mean? What does all this mean?" And so. Um, I thought that would be a good idea, and I recruited one of my uh, younger students who had written a wonderful uh, master's thesis on welcoming the stranger, how important that was in immigration uh, in the United States. And uh, together we, we thought, well, let's, let's talk about these two families um, that we have, both which are global. And the, the first family, you might say, uh, is, was, is the human family. I mean, we all belong to the human family. And um, we, we just need to be able to understand who, who, who the rest of our family is and try to get along with them, uh, much as the way we do at family reunions when, you know, when everybody shows up and you have all these strange uncles and whatnot. But uh, we thought, well, this would be a good way to think about it, is, that, is that's one of our global families. But we have another global family, that's our Christian family, um, and, you know, the body of Christ globally. And uh, we also need to know who they are, and we need to be sort of, you know, good members in standing of our global family. What are we contributing to this family, and, and you know, how well do we know uh, the needs of that family? And so that, that was the idea, trying to think, think about this as two groups that we should really be, really be good members of, you know, people who, who make a difference. Um, and, and they're very different families in, in some ways, um, you know, and that's, that's why we felt it was important to, to write about it and, and to talk about uh, how, we, how we engage both the families. Why is it important to have a broader sense in our Christian identity? Yeah, and that, that, that comes really, again, from my own research. Uh, I've, you know, been privileged to be in, in, you know, over about 90 countries, I think, and I had met people, met Christians from all over the world and realized how, how different we are in, in the needs that we might have 
and yet how we have this common faith at the same time. So I felt like it's important to understand where other people are at and what their needs are. I mean, one obvious thing is persecution, you know, that so many Christians are persecuted around the world and that we we who have the privilege of being, you know, in a place where we're free to express ourselves, we should we should really do something for those that that are under pressure and and so there are many many things like that, many particular needs that Christians have around the world. And I think it's up to everyone in in that Christian family to to embrace the the challenges that are faced by the whole community. Um, and, and I think there's good biblical basis for that too, being part of the body and understanding the other parts and valuing um, everyone uh, around the world in, in the body of Christ. When you refer to Christianity, you speak of Protestants, you speak of Catholic, Roman Catholics, you speak of Eastern Orthodox, you talk about Anglicans, you talk about even breaking down into the denominations and sub-denominations and sub-sub-denominations. Why such a broad scope? Yeah, I think there's a there's sort of a scientific reason for it, uh, which is when you're in when you study in social science and you're trying to count something, uh, you know, you 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 value people's uh, self-identification. That's the term that's used. Let people identify who they are. In fact, it's in one sense it's a human right. And some of the persecution that we see is not allowing people to identify their their religious background. So, so, the, so the scientific side says let's let's be fair to everyone and not judge you know um, judge them beyond just letting them say you know what their what their faith background is. Uh, but the theological side then would be to recognize the diversity in the body of Christ, which goes beyond almost all of our boundaries. You know, I, I mean, I grew up Lutheran. And I, 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 there was there, you know, there's some old jokes about, you know, when you get to heaven, um, you, you know, you find all the different groups, and when you get near the Lutheran church, they'd said, "Be real quiet as we go by here, because they think they're the only ones up here." You see, so so that that kind of uh, view of of the world is funny, but it's actually not true. And even even back in in Minneapolis, growing up, I had friends in the Catholic Church who were very devout followers of Christ. And so I saw that it was probably good to go beyond these you know, artificial boundaries. And, and in fact, as it, as it turns out, that all of these different Christian traditions have uh, something special to offer the body of Christ. Now, all of them actually struggle with what we call nominalism, you know, that some people are just Christians in name only, and they need uh, revival, renewal, um, but they're still part of the family. Okay, so that's that's just a way that I like to think about it. And it's hard for me studying all these forms of Christianity, 45,000 denominations in the world. It's hard for me not to embrace them all, you know, just as this is it. This is this is my, my family, like it or not. And okay, th- this family has a lot of problems, but let's deal with them in the context of embracing everybody first. I think that's it. The Christian family. You also write, you and Cindy also write 
about the human family. Why do you believe we need to be better informed about other religions? Well, that probably goes back to what we were talking about earlier of my experience in Thailand. And that is seeing, you know, right up close, two things, people from a completely different religious background, Buddhism in this case, but also to see the impact of genocide, you know, which uh, uh, the 20th century was the bloodiest century in, in, um, in Christian, well, in human history, but even in, in the, since the time of Christ. And so we have to grapple with these, you know, large-scale problems that really are the responsibility of everyone. And you'd hope that Christians would be on sort of the cutting edge of dealing with, with these problems. And you can't deal with global problems without recognizing the, the role of religion. And actually, one of our findings that's a little bit surprising to everybody is that the world is becoming more religious every single year. It doesn't look like that when, when if you and I step outside here in Boston and we see secularization and all of that happening. But, you know, when you talk about China and India and Africa, these are places where religion is, is, is still growing. And as a whole, the world's becoming more and more religious. So it's a, a really good idea to be well informed about it. And, and uh, it's also the way that we, we would build solidarity. Um, let me tell you a short little story about my youngest daughter, Valerie. Um, when we were in, in living in Singapore, she, she got a fever. Um, and we had to actually go to the hospital in the middle of the night. She was four years old. Boy, we, you know, we were so scared because, because of this seizure. And we, we, um, we went to the hospital. We didn't actually have the proper insurance because we were just staying there a few months. And we got put into a, a, a shared room with four different families. And actually, it was right before Christmas um, that this happened. And uh, our, our daughter, Valerie, she, she got better faster uh, than the others. And uh, it turned out we were in, a, in this little hospital room with a, a Malay Muslim family and with a South Asian Hindu family and with a Chinese Buddhist family. This is, this is Singapore. This is what it's like. And uh, what struck me is, yeah, I'm, I'm the religion expert. You know, I mean, I've written books and all that kind of thing. But it was my four-year-old daughter who went seamlessly between these three other beds, making fast friends with the bo little boys and little girls who were sick, and also um, with the families. And I thought, that's, that's what I wish I had, because I kind of grew up afraid of people in other religions. Here she is. She's moving seamlessly between them and building solidarity in that little room. And I thought, that, that's the future, I think. That, that's what we should hope for our young people, that that they're, you know, more comfortable with diversity. So, yeah, I, th I think that's important. And Valerie, the expert, and a little child shall lead them. Thank you for sharing that. It's, there, there's a purity to that and a transcendence also that goes along with it, Todd. Who is David Barrett? And how did you love math, your love of math? overlap with him yeah so I I grew up um, that that's the other part of my my young life you know I had such a wonderful devotion to to Jesus 
But I also love math. And one of the ways that was expressed, just a, another little story from my, from uh, when I was 13 years old, I guess, I, was, I gave my first speech ever. And they told you, you know, is talk about something you really like. So I thought, well, my favorite thing is the periodic table of elements, you know, which was chemistry and math both. And um, uh, unfortunately for, for, for them, there's 100, 106 of them back then, I think. And I did, you know, this is the 1970s, so I did the little note card and I put the name of each element, its atomic number, its atomic weight. And I got up in front of the class and I said, you know, I just think this, this is foundational to who we are, these elements. Um, and let me tell you about these elements. So I started with uh, hydrogen, you know, atomic number one, um, atomic weight one. And I got to oxygen, you know, which is eight, the eighth one. And that's when my teacher said, okay, well, why don't you move to your conclusion now? <laughs> I, I had a hundred more elements to tell people about. And uh, I thought that that was part of who I was. I just loved counting and math and all of that. And uh, I thought when I, when I became a missionary, when I went to Thailand and, and uh, all of that, I thought that's the end of my of math and, and missions. But it turned out that there was a, a, a famous guy who had grown up, or he was, he was British, and he had uh, worked in Kenya as a missionary, and um, he loved to count things. And someone saw in me that I loved to count, and they put me in touch with him. And uh, we initially just, I just did an article in a small book that I sent his way, but uh, I also wanted to study more of, you know, how do these come together, missions and math. And I got to, uh, to uh, study under him for my Ph.D. And Barrett um, had produced an encyclopedia back in the early 80s. And to show you how much I loved this kind of thing, um, at our wedding, um, we, my wife and I uh, thought, what special gift can we give to our maid of honor and to the best man? And there was a, a deal on this book. It was $95, this big thousand-page book. Um, which I had carefully read as I was about to get married. I carefully read every page. And it was basically Afghanistan to Zimbabwe, you know, what was happening in Christianity with lots of statistics and all of that. So we gave this as a special gift. We got a special price on it. And uh, my best man, who I just actually had lunch with last week in Minnesota, he still teases me about the fact that I gave him an encyclopedia for being in my wedding. Uh, and this is before I had met Barrett, so it was kind of exciting to me to, to get into his orbit. Little did I realize that I would not only learn what to do, but pick up the, um, uh, the research center that he had started and take it into the future. And, and unfortunately, he passed away about 10 years ago, so we're continuing on his work that he started almost 60 years ago in Kenya. You're listening to Dr. Todd Johnson. Dr. Johnson is the co-director, he speaks of the center, the co-director of the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. When we come back from our break in our final segment, a little personal as we typically do, challenging times, how might the Christian message allow the message to be formed in the context of culture? And in what ways have the Lord touched Todd Johnson in 
trying moments. That and a bit more when we come back. Stay with us. Wandering the road of desperate life Namelessly beneath the barren sky Leave it to me Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. Evangelism can be likened to an exquisite pearl necklace. In order for the necklace to be complete, each pearl is carefully strung on, one at a time. Only after the last pearl is strung will the clasp be attached. Most people are convinced that the apex of evangelism is in being that figurative clasp, leading someone to trust Christ. In reality, there would be no need for a clasp without any pearls being strung. Which is more important, the pearls or the clasp? They all are. Not everyone can be a clasp all the time. But in evangelism, you can always be a precious pearl. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Dr. Todd Johnson's works include the World Christian Encyclopedia, Christianity in North Africa and West Africa, West Asia, Christianity in Sub-Saharan Africa, Christianity in South and Central Asia, evangelicals around the world and the world's religions in figures and the atlas of global christianity you can find out more about him at gordonconwell.edu again that's gordonconwell.edu todd how might christian mission allow the message to be formed in the context of culture Yeah, that's a great question, and it's really the question of the day, in a sense, because um, the the spread of Christianity around the world is uh, actually increasing evidence that it it can it can thrive in any culture in the world. So I'm I'm thinking in in terms of the fact that you know, 120 years ago, 82 percent of all Christians were Europeans. Uh, but in 1981, when, when I, in 1980, 81, when I was in Thailand, it actually hit the 50% mark, so that 50% were Europeans. Actually, now, today, it's 33%, which means two-thirds of all Christians in the world are Africans, Asians, Latin Americans, or from Oceania. And when it, from the standpoint of culture, you know, this shows that all of these different cultures uh, have... have uh, embraced Jesus and have maybe slightly different perspectives on on who he is. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, that's life-giving for everyone because we all we need each other uh, in, in the context of this. Um, and it's um, it, it sort of takes apart uh, one of the great weaknesses of uh, Christianity in the 20th century, and that is that it was it, Christianity is considered as a Western religion. But in fact, um, Christianity is not a Western religion today, 
nor was it in the first thousand years. I don't know, most of our listeners might not be aware of the fact that, that uh, in the first thousand years, uh, Africans and Asians outnumbered Europeans all the way into the mid-900s. And so often we tell the story of Christianity and we say Europe, 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 but actually Africa, Asia, all the way to China even, in, in the first 900 years of Christianity. Now we're kind of back to that again, where the vast majority of Christians are uh, not Western. Christianity is not a Western religion. And that there's nothing really more helpful in Christian missions for, for um, everyone that's, in, in, that's encountering Jesus to, to not encounter a Western Jesus, but encounter a global Jesus, a Jesus who is at home at all in all of the peoples of the world. And uh, I think that's, that's really important as we go forward in Christian mission. And uh, it's, it's easy to get confused. Now, what, let me give you an example. If you, if you go to the grocery store, most grocery stores have something called the ethnic aisle, where you go down a little aisle and there's, there's some crackers from Asia. And you know if you're lucky, there's something there from Africa and maybe Latin America. Um, and you realize that this view of even of the grocery store is that is that people in other countries eat ethnic food, but people in your own country just eat food. And we have that same confusion uh, with with theology within Christianity that Western theology is just theology. So in fact, if you look in, in any library, you'll see books on th systematic theology, theology this, theology that. But then a person of color writes a book, like Esau Macaulay last year, Reading While Black, you see. And his book isn't with the other books. It's in the ethnic aisle of the library between uh, mysticism and feminism. Uh, he's not even considered to be part of you know, this normal theological expression. And I say this because when, when people who've never met Christ meet him for the first time, they should be meeting him on equal terms with everybody else. And so there's no ethnic aisle in Christianity. We're all in this together. We're all the same. And I think that's the, that's the new way we need to think uh, in terms of culture, that everyone has culture, everyone has perspective, and we can all learn from each other. I love it. There's no ethnic aisle in Christianity. We're all in this together. Todd Johnson, since we're all in this together, we all experience bumps in the road of life. How, how has the Lord helped you through bumps in life's road? Yeah, if you don't mind me uh, sharing something a, a bit uh, personal, and that has happened this year uh, for us, my wife and I, um, we had uh, at the beginning of the year, this is 2022, at the beginning of the year we had... Um, the, um, the, the terrible diagnosis that uh, my wife has breast cancer. And um, this was totally unexpected and happened, you know, right at the beginning of the year. And we were both devastated by this. And the, you know, her prognosis is, is good and, and we're, we're doing okay that way, but, but it was still very difficult for us. And the interesting thing is that the next day, uh, she was sharing this diagnosis with her sisters, and one of her sisters said, you know, um, I'm praying for you right now, and I see 
you're, you're in the boat with Jesus, and there's, stor- there's stormy weather, but he's going to calm the waves. So um, she was encouraged by that, and the next day she went to a small group uh, at church and shared again, and one of her good, close uh, friends there said, I- I'm praying for you right now, and I want you to know I see that you're in a boat uh, with Jesus, and the storm is, is raging, but he's going to calm the waters. So the next day, she came to me and said, you know, I, I, the, this happened to me these last two days. And I said, well, here, come around the corner and take a look at my screensaver. And I said, I chose this two weeks ago. I had upgraded my system, and it wiped out what I had there. So I pr- was praying, what should I put as kind of this giant, because it was a 32-inch screen. What should I put on this giant screensaver uh, for the year 2022? And I had chosen this beautiful painting of Jesus in a boat with the disciples and the calming of the waves. That's what I had on this giant screen. Do you know, seven more times people came to us independently and said, this is important. Now, so this has been a theme for us this year. And I, and I say this because these are something this difficult to have an anchor, no pun intended, with this picture of Jesus, you know, in this boat. We have, we have that has meant so much to us. And pe- in fact, other people are saying, we're in the boat with you. And, you know, we, we've just had, it's had such a tremendous impact on us. Now, we've still had surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, additional medication. So we had to do all of that. But we, we actually are, we, we just have this assurance that Jesus is in the boat with us. And I think, I think that's the, the thing that we need as Christians. We need to be constantly listening to, you know, to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us and leading us and comforting us and and you know guiding us and so we've we've really just had this strong sen- uh, you know um, sensation of his of, of his presence and and I, and and the the interesting thing is in relation to to my Cambodian story which I had not actually thought of uh, until a couple of months ago is that that was those are the very words of my Cambodian student as he encountered this story here we are decades later facing up you know a very difficult uh, battle and we have the same story as as, as uh, our encouragement so that that's been meaningful to us and to our friends and family this year i appreciate you sharing this todd i could see i could see the the pull and the depth of the pull of the lord of the wind and the waves could see it in your eyes in the midst of the storm we've got about a minute left would you pray for someone going through a storm right now yes let's pray father thank you for your faithfulness in our lives thank you that uh, you know exactly um, what we need every single day and I, I pray that for each of us as we face different trials and and temptations that you would be right there with us in the midst of the storms of our life and that you would um, you would show us that you can calm the waves and that you um, are sovereign over whatever situation that we're facing 
And I pray that we would uh, all together uh, take hold of your promises, and especially this one, that, that many of us that have experienced uh, storms from the pandemic and from other challenges that we face, I ask that you would be near and dear to us and that you would give us courage in the midst of these storms and faith that you will uh, heal us and that you will uh, walk with us and continue to lead and guide us by your spirit. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Todd, thank you. Thank you. Hope-filled words from Dr. Todd Johnson, gordonconwell.edu. My friend, God's timing is perfect. And there's no better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with someone near you. And if you haven't done so, hey, this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Christ. Go to drdanny.live for more resources to join our prayer team or partner with us financially. Again, drdanny.live. And I thank you in advance. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Dr. Todd Johnson, GordonConville.edu. Until next time, along with my producer, David Nasora, creative director, Brian Torres, web designer, Shana Kusumoto, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, and guest coordinator, Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.